Good morning, brethren. Are you excited today? Absolutely, me too. Brethren, wasn't this song beautiful? What a words. Touched my heart so much. Not just because my daughter sang. I'm serious. Just beauty of the song. And before I go into my message, just, just quickly, I just wanted to tell you what a great privilege it is and honor to know this group of people sitting right here. This group is the most dependable group that I ever worked in my entire life. If you need a special music, you know where to go. If you need somebody to set the church, you know where to go. If you need somebody to play the piano, you know where to go. If you need somebody to do a sermonette, you know where to go. I'm not kidding. So how many of you remember last day, the youth day? How many of you remember? Remember this young man standing here and giving a sermonette? You know? It's a shame on us adults. Because we can't deliver what they can. And what is so amazing about this group of people, you know, it's such a great honor, man, and joy, just to see my daughter being baptized yesterday. That was the highlight of my feast. But you heard that many times before, to raise a child takes a village. And she lives in a safe village. It wasn't just my accomplishments as a father or as a mother. It's just because of all the village that surrounded her with love and care and compassion, she decided to give her heart to the Lord. And this people is amazing people, amazing group of people. And now I'm trying actually to make you guilty today. <laughs> if you love what they do, because I do. Please invest. When you're buying this thing, you're actually investing in them. They meet multiple times through the year. They have different programs. They meet in different congregations here in Canada. One time might be Toronto. Three, four months later, they meet in Kitchener. And then a few months later, they meet in Burlington on a rotating basis. Through the summertime, they run through the camps. And always sticking together and working together. It's an amazing group of people. Give them another round of applause. Thank you, young guys, for serving. <laughs> Brethren, now let's go to the sermon. Just before I go, I'd like to make a little survey here. We all know, we all know that we have a preference, even when it comes to the Word of God, right? We're not supposed to, but we do. There is part of scriptures that we like more than the others. How many of you here in the room would say that my preference or my pre preferred gospel is the gospel of Matthew? Just raise your hand. Just one person? That's it. No one likes gospel of Matthew. What about the gospel of Mark? How many of you like the gospel of Mark? Please raise your hand. What are you reading, guys? What about the Gospel of Luke? How many of you like the Gospel of Luke? Okay, so so far. What about Gospel of John? How many? Very good. Now, if you like Gospel of John, you can leave. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hopefully, at the end of my presentation, hopefully, I hope that more of you will like the Gospel of John. Almost 98% of the scripture will come from the Gospel of John. So, hopefully... Not going to be a disappointment to you. And I want to specifically talk about the signs 
that happened in the Gospel of John. And Gospel of John is a unique gospel, right? We all agree to it. It's a unique. It's different than all the other ones. Now, you know, to the young people again, just for a second, I forgot my prize. Don't look in your Bible. Just you guys. How many think? If you know the answer, just raise your hand. How many chapters there are in the Gospel of John? How many? 21. Jessica. But you can't win because you're my daughter. So, you can't have the prize. You can't be like, 21 chapters. And out of this 21 chapters, the last nine chapters in the Gospel of John, from 13 to 21, from 13 chapters going on all the to the end, are dedicated to Jesus' last week of his life. So many chapters, just the last week. And of all these last chapters... One-third of that is dedicated to the last 24 hours of his life, of Jesus Christ's life when he was here on this earth. Now, what I want to do, I want to spend my time in the first 11 chapters. And we're going to go through some of the signs that John, you know, the favorite number of John's throughout the gospel, throughout the revelations. You know what's the favorite number that he uses all the time? Seven. It runs through the seven all the time. In John's Gospel, when you read Matthew, there are Jesus performed many miracles. The same thing is Luke. You come to Gospel of John, he is so selective. He only uses seven. And through all these miracles, he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. He calls them signs. Open your Bible to John chapter 2. As I said, it will be so much easier for you today because we'll be in one book for most of the time. So let's flipping. John chapter 2, and we see in verse 11. John chapter 2 in verse 11, it says, The beginning of signs... Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And he's right, right away. This is the beginning of signs. Not the beginning of miracle. The beginning of signs. What was the first sign that John decided to include? He's not chronological. He doesn't write his gospel in a chronological order. He picks the sign because he wants to let us know something about signs. Usually, they reveal things or they conceal things. John wants to reveal something to us. He wants to reveal something to the readers of his gospel. And we need to find out today what he wants to reveal to us. Sign number one, changing the water into the wine. So if you think in scripture should be easier for you, you can see where the scripture is. To some of the signs, we're not going to read all of it because we'll be sitting here till 5 o'clock, which I don't mind, but you probably do. John chapter 2, and you know, we all, the first sign that happened, Jesus turned the water into the wine. Let's pick up the story here in chapter 2 and verse 2. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And, we, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. You know, I just came, we just, my family just came from Europe. 
So originally we are from Eastern, Eastern Europe, where it's a shameful thing when you invite guests and you don't have anything at your home. If you make a wedding, it is unbelievable shame when you run out of alcohol or of food. Can you understand? It's a shameful thing that you have a wedding and you run out of food or you run out of alcohol. Let me guarantee you, the same hospitality is, is Mediterranean culture. They never run out of wine. They never run out of food. In this case, something happened. So Jesus' mother goes directly to Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servant, whatever he says to you, just do it. And now there were set six water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing 20 or, 30, 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some now out and take, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tested the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and, and when guests are well drunk, then the inferior. You, have to, you, have, you kept the good wine until now. What is happening in this sign? What is John wanting to tell us, to show us, that we can learn something here about something specific? What is so specific about this sign? Obviously, he performed this great miracle. What is all this miracle all about? As we go through all the signs, I'm just going to give you just the basic. Just the basic of the basic. There is way more into the signs than it's supposed to be. I'm just going to give you the basics. So if you have any other comments or observations, please see me later. We can go through all of this a little bit later. What happened during the first sign? Jesus' power over substances. Think about it. Jesus' power over substances. Just to change water to wine in a split second. Water to wine in a split second. What's the other part that is so important in making wine? Jesus' power over time. How long it takes to make a good wine? Years. By the time you plant it, by the time you harvest it, by the time you crush it, by the time you put it, you have to set it apart. The longer the wine is stored, the better it tastes, right? I'm not a wine drinker, but I, that's what I learned from the wine drinkers. Am I saying the truth? That's the case. Jesus did a very good wine in a split second, just like that. From a water into a good wine, superior wine, in a split second. What is John trying to tell us here? What is he trying to tell us here? Now, this is not over. In verse 11, it says here, This is beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And then it says at the end of it, And his disciples believed in him. No one else knew about it. Just his disciples believed in him. Let's go to the sign number two. John chapter 4. 
John chapter 4. John chapter 2. No, John chapter 4. I apologize. John chapter 4. And you can find this in verses here in 46 to verses 54. Verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out to Judah, into the Galilee, he went to him and, and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he, was, for, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Verse 49, The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And here it says, And he himself believed and his whole household. Now, it's not just the disciple. Now, it's just the nobleman and his household believed. What is John trying to show us in the second sign? What is so important about the second sign? Jesus' power over the geographical location. Think about it. Location doesn't matter where you are. Geography. It's not a problem. And what's the other point, very important about this sign? Jesus' power of his spoken words. Jesus' power of his spoken words. You see, to us, the believers, doesn't matter where we are. Whether we came from New York, from Tokyo, from Poland, from Canada, from United States, from Newfoundland. Christ is always there. And his ability to do the things just by speaking, speaking the word. Just speaking the word. What is John trying to tell us here? Sign number two. Let's go to sign number three. John chapter five. John chapter five. And find this sign from verse 2 all the way to verse 15. What is all this sign of, all about? The healing of the pool. Verse 2. Now there, is, now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethsaida. Having five porches, in, in this lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting, to, waiting for the moving of the water. But an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. So it doesn't tell us the, the age of this man, but he was sick for 38 years. So we can assume that at some point in his life, he was well. But for the last 38 years, he is sick. Verse 6, so when Jesus saw him lying there 
I knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was a Sabbath. And we know what happened later, what a controversy it became because it was Sabbath. And he said to the man, just, just, just rise and take your bed. How, what is Jesus Christ trying to tell us through this sign? Is a Jesus power to heal sick instantly. Not over the period of time, instantly, at the split second. You know, here, we all know as a believers, there is no such thing that water can cure people. There is no such thing that oil can cure people. Only God can cure people. And Jesus is telling to the man who is in control. It's not the angel. It's not the water. I can make you. I can heal you whenever I want you. Now, what's the next signs here? And as you know, as the results, what Jesus did on the Sabbath. All the Jews that in Jerusalem wanted to take his life. Next sign, John chapter 6, feeding 5,000 people. John chapter 6. And you can find it in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And we all know the story, we all remember the story. So I'm not going to go through this detail, but you just, just go to verse 10. Then Jesus said, make people to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those, to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then this man, then those men, when they had seen sign, the sign, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So we are progressing with each sign. Now the multitude experienced Jesus' signs there. What is so significant that Jesus can do here in this sign? Jesus' power to multiply. Jesus' power to multiply. And you know, sometimes we come to church and it's the, it's the holy day and you wonder what we can offer to God. And many of us might think, you know, we might not have uh, much money in our pocket. Just offer what you can. And trust me, Jesus Christ is good at multiplying things. Just give it from your heart, and he will not multiply it for his own use. Let's move to the next sign. Sign number five. Walking on the sea. Chapter six. Verses 15 to 21. 
walking on the sea. Verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea aroused because of the great wind and, and when it was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. They did willingly receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the, at the land when they were going. What's, on, what's about this sign? What is Jesus Christ telling? What is John is trying to through his writing just tell to us, to his reader? What's so special about this sign? It's Jesus' power over the elements of nature. Just his ability to change or affect the weather at any moment, at any time. He's in a full control. And you notice there, they were struggling. They were in the middle of the lake. They were in the middle of nowhere. The wind was blowing. Suddenly when Jesus appeared, everything was calm. And in a moment, they reached their destination. You know, and many times we go through tribulations, we go through sicknesses. You know, we have to remember. We have to remember, we have to ask questions. Is Jesus Christ in our boat? Is Jesus Christ in our boat as we go through the difficult times? Because when you invited him, it might take less, less shorter to reach the shore and a peaceful destination than without him. Sign number six. Just two more to go. Sign number six. Healing the man blind since birth. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And you can find it in verses 1 through 12. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And I want you to notice there is a little difference here. The first man that he healed, he was well at some point in his life, and then he was sick for 38 years. This man here, he was born like that. He was born like that. And his disciple asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered. Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work. I must work the works of Him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. And verse six. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made a clay with the saliva, make a clay. From dust we came. Remember from the Genesis, right? From dust we came. And 
wrath of God. What is Jesus doing here? He took the clay and he spat on it. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sand, which is translated sand. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and back? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And we know again this happened on the Sabbath a little bit later. What is so powerful about this sign that John wants us to see, that John wants us to understand? What is so powerful about this? John's power over our physical body. What is so different about this case? This man was blind from birth. Some of his organs, some of his nerves, some of his tissues were just not there. He couldn't see. Jesus Christ took a clay, spit on it, just exactly the same thing what God did in the, in the garden. And in a split second, in a split moment of things, he recreated the same organs in our physical body so this man, blind from birth, suddenly could see just like that. It's not just healing a sick. It's not just healing a sick who was well and now suddenly you're sick. A man who was born like that, he couldn't see at all. Imagine the joy of this man. When suddenly he can see what it means to see something surrounding around him. What is John trying to tell us through all these signs? Let's go to the last one. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Chapter 11. And you can find it in verses from 1 to verse 44. And we're not going to read all of the verses. But you well know the stories. John chapter 11. Let's pick it up in, in verse 38. We know how Jesus delayed his coming. He let Lazarus die. Three days later... He decided, let's go. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. John chapter 11, verse 38. It was a cave, and stone lay against it. Jesus said, take it away, the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. This is the last sign. You would see glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and this is very interesting, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I say this that they might believe 
that you send me. I know you always hear me. But because of all these people, I say this prayer and I say it aloud. So they will be able to see what I'm doing here. And hopefully through all of this, they'll be able to believe it. You always hear me. I know. I don't have to say that loud. I have all this power that you have given me. I'm doing this for them. So they may believe it. Now there's an important aspect here that we have to know. I'll just finish the story first. Verse 43. Now when he had said this thing, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloak. A cloak. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. And, you know, people ask this question sometimes, you know, if Lazarus was resurrected, was he resurrected to the physical life or was he resurrected to the, you know, immortal life? You know, the answer is right here. He was still bound in the grave clothes. What is so special, brethren, about that, that, you know, he was in the grave clothes? Because I want you to look. I want you to look here in John chapter 20. Hold your place here in John chapter 20. Because when Jesus Christ was resurrected, he was resurrected to eternal life. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And look at verse 6. John chapter 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. The linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that, he had, that, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Big difference. Jesus Christ was resurrected. His clothes was really the grave. Lazarus was resurrected when he came out. He came out with all the clothes just addressed. Let him go. Just came back to our physical life. Go back to John chapter 11. Just before Jesus performed this sign, here in verse 25, he said, Jesus said to her, to Martha, he said, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he might die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I'm going to do something. I want you to believe it. What is so powerful about this sign? What can we say about this sign? Jesus' total power over death. Total power over death. Jesus' total power over our life. Now, what I want to do here, because sometimes we read through the book, we read through the Bible, and you know, as we come to the sign 7, sometimes we forget what you read in sign 1. Or we forget what you read in sign 2 or 3. Let's put this all together as a quick review, okay? Let's just put it together as a quick review. Point number one. 
Jesus' power over substance. Jesus' power over time. Jesus' power over geographical location. Jesus' power to multiply. Jesus' power over the nature. Jesus' power over our physical and spiritual bodies. Jesus' power over death. Do it one more time. What is John trying to tell us through those signs? What is he telling us, the future believers? What he's telling us? Who is this man? Who is Jesus Christ? Is he just a guy? Is he a prophet? Is he a Moses? Is he David? Read it one more time. Jesus has power over what? Substances, time, geographical locations, multiplying, over nature, physical, spiritual body, over death. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? How come that people are so confused today and they debate the divinity of Jesus Christ? He was just a man. Really? Was there any other man that came even close who could do things like that? Was there anybody? What about Muhammad? What about Buddha? No, I'm serious. Was there any other man in history of humankind who can do all of these things And at the end of it, we sit and we debate who was Jesus Christ. Never. Thank you. Never. And you know, John chapter 20. Let's go there quickly. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 30. This is what John is saying. He picked only seven. Only seven. Jesus did many more. He picked only seven. He selected them. In his own order. In his own way. But he writes here. Verse 30. And truly. Truly. Jesus did many. Many other signs. In the presence of his disciples. Which are not written in this book. Which are not written in this book. I give you sufficient information that you need to make your own call and your own decision. Now, I started from the signs, so you guys can get this picture, okay? I want you to keep this thing in your mind now. As you keep this thing in mind, before we go to the beginning of the Gospel of John, I want to go now. To the one scriptures outside the gospel of John. I want to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. If you, some of you are very gifted at writing. If you write an article, you write a book, you write a story. How difficult it is to start it. To start it and to give all the informations of who, what, where, when, why, and how. How difficult it is. 
It is difficult. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I always look at this. I was always fascinated when I started reading the Bible. Right there in Genesis 1.1, I get answered to so many questions here. Like, you know, who? God, when, in the beginning, how, creating, what, heaven and earth. One little sentence, we get so many different answers. Now, you go a little bit deeper. How? How he did all of these things? And you read, by the power of the word. God said, God said, God said, God said, done, 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 done. And then you even get the answer, why? Because he said, let us make men. In our image. This is why. Because I'm going to love them. I'm going to share their inheritance with them. I want to give them the power. Everything what I have. I want to give it to them. This is why. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. It's unbelievable how many answers we can just get from this one verse. Now. What is John trying to tell us through all of this? John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1. As you read the other Gospels, Matthew, for example, Luke, you know, then you go to John's Gospel, you feel like, what's going on here? When John, John starts his Gospels, no genealogy, no angels, no shepherds, no baby Jesus, no Simeon, no nothing. None of this. It's not important to John. He doesn't care about that. What John says in the beginning, in his Gospel, right at the beginning, what he's saying, John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What else you want to know? You want to know what's in the beginning? This is what it is. John is saying, you know what? I don't need to write you about the genealogy of Jesus Christ because I have to. Go to Genesis 1.1, you will see it. He is from the beginning. He is the creator. He used the clay to create organs. He has the ability to do all these things. And all the signs that he did a little bit later, starting from 1 all the way to sign 7, just support everything what he wrote here in chapter 1 and verse 1. This is what it is. I make a claim here, and I'm going to support it. This is my support for my claim. Let's just read it here. This beginning, this 14 verses that are so crucial here in John's gospel, that are amazing. John 1, verse 1. Let's read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Where? Oh, creation. Let us make man in our image. Okay? All things, not just some things, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Nothing that exists today was made without Jesus Christ. In him was life, wow, and the light was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We can't, because Satan is blocking our view. We can't see it, unless he shines on our mind, on our brain, open this ability to see what's happening. Verse 6, 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that, that all through him might believe. This is why he's writing this gospel. Verse 8. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the word was made through him, and the word did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who, who believe in his name. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of men, but of God. That's what you got to do here. That's what we are doing here. Whatever we read it here in all these verses, let me put a quick summary one more time. So when we see visually, we have a greater appreciation for it. Okay? Let's do it. Jesus Christ here, as we read through here, who is Jesus Christ? He's eternal. Okay? He's God. He's creator. He's source of life. His source of salvation. Become a flesh. Son of God. You see it? Can you go back one more time? And this is exactly everything here. Starting from verse 1 going to all the verse 13. Eternal. Verse 1 and 2. God. Verse 1. Creator. Verse 3. Source of life, verse 4. Source of salvation, verse 12. Word become flesh, verse 14. The word is the Son of God sent by the Father, verse 14. 14 verses, we know everything that we need to know. Everything that we need to know about who, what is Jesus Christ. It's right there at the beginning of John's Gospel. Now, he gives all the signs later, just support what he said. Now, now. I know we are human beings, and it's very difficult to convince us, right? We need multiple proofs. Rather, we need to prove it. Prove it to me. Show me. Prove it to me. One more time, okay? I told you the power of seven, right? Power of seven in John's writing. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, John's make a powerful statement. You all know. Remember the statement, I am? Guess how many times through the Gospel he made this statement? I am. How many times? Seven. Let's go through some of them. Let's go through all of them. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Look at verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them and said again, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10 and in verse 7. John chapter 10 verse 7. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 11, the same chapter. John chapter 10 verse 11. John chapter 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And verse 25. John chapter 11 verse 25. Jesus said to her. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the true. I am the life. And the last one, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. You're still confused who Jesus Christ is? You still want to debate who Jesus Christ is? Is there any other man on this planet who ever claimed that I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate for the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrections and the life, I am the way, the true and the life, and I'm a true one. Anyone said statement like that? Made statement like that? Has any ever made such a statement like that? I don't think so. Why am I selling this, all this thing here? Keeping the Feast of Tabernacle, I don't have to convince you who Jesus Christ is. Because we are all believers, that's why we're here. But I want to say this. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is everything that you need. Everything that you want. Without Him, you can do anything. We can't even get Holy Spirit without Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Revelation chapter 2. As Pastor Moe was going through some of the churches yesterday. Just before there, we go there, just think for a moment. All this power. Imagine, imagine today, imagine today, let's say, all of us here, who are here, what would happen if we had, let's say, just 10% of the ability, what Jesus Christ did there. If we just had 10% of the power, what Jesus Christ was able to do. 
what would happen? Imagine if I could do with just the 10% what Jesus was capable of doing. What about 20? What about 50? What about 75? Imagine for a moment if he had this power what Jesus had for 10, 20, 75%. What about 100? What about 100? We can do miracles. We can be like him, right? Is not what he's promised to us? That we'll be like him? Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 25. You may not have much now. We're still more powerful. We still have access to God's strong. We have the access through our prayer to the power of the word. Look at verse 25. But hold fast what you have till I come. Hold it. It's yours. Hold it. When I come. When I come. And he who overcomes, you heard this word throughout the feast, salvation is not a one thing, event, it's a process. If you go through the sanctification period when you are glorified, he who overcomes and keeps my works till the end, what's going to happen? To him I will give power over nations. Can you handle it? I'm serious. Can you handle it? Can you handle it when you get angry? So you're not going to go to your brother and say, you know, damn you, Satan. I'm serious. Are you able to contain 5% of Jesus' power? Or 20? What about 100? Are we ready for that? Just keep reading. And I will give power over the nations. And there is a quote. And look at the end of this quote. As I also have received from my Father. Can we have it? Can we have that power? Absolutely. Are we ready for it? Revelation chapter 3. Power. Power is a great thing, if you know how to use it. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What a communion. What a wonderful thing. Keep reading verse 21. And again, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Can we have that power? Absolutely. When are we going to get this power? When we overcome. When we're going to be glorified. 
Let's finish with this scripture. John chapter 20. One more time. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and read this verse one more time. Verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Why? Verse 31. But these are written that you, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe it? Come on. Do you believe it? No. Another question. I want you to take a three seconds breath before you say it. Okay? I want you to take three seconds and think it to your mind before you answer me. The last question I'm going to answer. Are you ready to die for it? If you're not sure, don't say it. Are you ready to die for it? May God bless you all.